0: All right. What's up, guys? How's it going? Yeah, it's good to be with you guys today. Good seeing your faces. Um, man, I love Sundays. Sundays is uh, the, it's the best day of the week because we get to come and worship the Lord and be with one another. Yeah, it's awesome. I love Sundays. Uh, I love being with you guys. And I know the leaders do as well. Hope you enjoy being here. I want to encourage you if you, if you come in the room and um, you don't know anyone, and you feel like you don't have any relationships with anyone, step out. Step out in faith and, and go say hi to someone. Uh, you never know if that, that step of faith and a little bit of uncomfortability, a little bit of awkwardness might turn into a relationship that would last a lifetime. So don't underestimate that. Uh, today we're going to be in, continuing our series in the book of First John. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to First John chapter 3. First John chapter 3. The title of the message this morning is Lean In and Look. If you are taking notes, uh, which I hope you are, and if you're not, just try it. Um, just try it out, see what happens. Lean In and Look, First John chapter 3. Uh, have you guys ever um, seen a diamond before? Diamonds are pretty awesome. Now, I'm, I'm a guy, and so I don't wear diamonds. I mean, if, if, I mean some guys wear diamonds. That's cool. Um, sometimes you can pull it off, sometimes a little one in the ring, um, but... I'd encourage you, if your mom has a diamond of any kind, go and look at it. And you might have just seen, oh, yeah, it's just my mom's ring. You know, my dad just got that for her. But there's something about a diamond. At first, it's like, oh, it's just, you know, it's just a diamond. And then as you begin to look at it, like ask your mom, literally ask your mom to take off her ring. She might say no. Uh, But just right there, just look at it. And just look at the diamond, all the facets of it. At first, it can just be like, oh, it's just a diamond. But when you start to look at it, you realize why people pay hundreds and thousands of dollars for these things. Um, they're awesome. And they have so many, I mean, some diamonds have, you know, a, a small little rock will have a hundred different sides to it. Uh, and it makes it brilliant, uh, not as in smart, but as in shiny and, and, and just awesome. And, uh, and there's sometimes where we have these things in life where there's, it, there's more to it than meets the eye. Right. There's a lot of things that we experience like this, that at first glance, it's, oh, yeah, it's just that. But when you start to look more into it, there, there's more under the surface. Right. Uh, we know, like with science, this happens all the time where, uh, you know, we don't realize our bodies, how incredibly they are made and the eyeball. And, you, you know, at first you're like, oh, yeah, I just I use my eyes to see. But if you were a scientist and you start to look into it and look at um, you know, all these things under microscopes, there's more to our lives than meets the eye, right? Uh, or maybe you're familiar with some different brands. you guys know what brands are, right? And they have, brands usually have some kind of logo, right? Some kind of emblem that represents them, that when you see it, you know that's what it is. For example, have you guys ever seen the FedEx uh, symbol before? FedEx, yeah. You know, at first glance, at first glance, it's just, oh yeah, it just says FedEx. And then you realize, I remember I was like only a few, years, a few years ago when I realized, oh my gosh, it's an arrow in the FedEx. You know, you see all the trucks everywhere. But when you start to lean in and look, uh, there's a little more there, right? Let's, you can go to the next slide. Uh, what about Toyota? Did you know this about Toyota? It actually spells the word Toyota in the symbol. Like that's how they came up with it. Um, I don't have the one up here, but if you've ever seen the infinity sign, the infinity uh, car emblem is actually a road that goes on for eternal. Uh, That's why it's uh, an arrow like that. You can look at it later. Um, Or the next one, uh, Baskin-Robbins. Did you know 31, right? Maybe you knew. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. What about the next one? Did you know Amazon has a smile connecting from A to Z because they can supply to you everything from A to Z, right? And that, oh, is pretty good, right? And sometimes with life, there are these things that become normal. There's these things that become just that. But when you begin to lean in and look, there's more that meets the eye. And what we're going to discuss today is something that at first you might say sounds basic. At first you might say sounds elementary, uh, and that is God's love. And I want you to give it a chance. I want you to lean in and look. And, and that includes even your posture today. Uh, some of your postures could be laid back right, like this and uh, maybe sleeping. Um, but I want to encourage you guys, straighten up in your chairs, straighten your backs, and lean in a little bit today because I believe God wants to speak something to each and every one of you in a very personal and real way, if you are willing to listen. The shift here uh, in chapter three is on God's love. And the big idea today is this. It's as we lean in and look intently at God's love, we realize our relationship, we look forward to our future, and we pursue personal purity in our lives. So so let's read 1 John chapter 3 verses one through nine, and then we'll pray, okay? So remember, this is the important part. This is the word of God. This is where the power comes from. I have nothing to say if if this wasn't here. I should just walk off now. However, we have 1 John chapter three. So let's start in verse one and work our way down to verse nine. The Bible says, chapter three, verse one, behold, What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Verse 4, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness or wickedness. Verse 5, and you know that he was manifested to manifested to take away our sins and in him there is no sin he's perfect whoever abides in him does not sin whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him little children let no one deceive you he who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous verse 8 he who sins is of the devil for the devil has sinned from the beginning for has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested or made known, revealed, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Jesus, we, we're here today in this room to gather together and, and, and seek you, seek you in your word and Lord, I pray today that as we go through this and we talk about something we have heard so many times, that your love would really become made known to us in a new way, that is if we had a diamond before us and we were to turn it to every which side and see it sparkle, would that be your love today in this room? And would it cause us, uh, Lord, to have hope? Would it cause us to pursue purity? Would it help us to realize our position with you? We love you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name, and we all said, amen. All right, 1 John chapter 3. Now, we're going to work our way through this, starting in verse 1. In verse 1, you notice it talks about the love of the Father. Right off the bat, he, he transitions, and he says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. A different version, the Amplified Bible, puts it like this. See what an incredible quality of love the Father has shown to us. J.B. Phillips' version puts it like this. Consider the incredible love that the Father has shown us. Sometimes those other versions can help us understand a little bit more what's being said here. Uh, To behold something. It means to lean in and look and study. It means to understand as a result of seeing. That as you look and you look longer, just like at that FedEx sign, for some of you, that was the first time you ever seen the arrow. Yet you've seen the FedEx symbol a million times over. But then when you just sat and you looked and someone pointed out to you, oh my gosh, you will never unsee that. Next time you see a FedEx truck, you'll be like, there's the arrow because they send things, right? And in the same way, we are to behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. When Jesus appeared to the disciples after the resurrection, they felt like they had seen a ghost and they're freaking out. They were troubled. And so Jesus comes and in Luke chapter 24, verse 39. Jesus says this same word. He says, behold, my hands and my feet, that is I myself, handle me and see. A spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. This is that same word. It is to look intently as to understand that Jesus wanted to see that he's not this floating ghost, but it's Jesus. behold look, understand, see, or consider. And guys, today, God wants us to consider his love. He wants his love to be seen. It's not a secretive thing. He put it on display for the whole world to see. And so just for a moment, I want you and me to consider what great love the Father has toward us The Bible says that he is the one who leaves the 99 to go after the one. He is the father who in our lives knows the things that we need before we ask him. That he knows before we even pray. Psalm 139, if you've ever studied it, Psalm 139 is a psalm about how he knows everything about us. He knows when we go to bed at night. He knows when we wake up in the morning. That he knows the thoughts before we think it. That God has this intimate and personal knowledge of us. And he has that knowledge because of his love for us, that he cares, that he knows. It's amazing. God's people are described in the Bible as the apple of his eye. It's an expression to show that we are precious in his sight. Are you guys hearing me today? Some of us, for whatever reason, have a difficult time receiving God's love. We might know about it. We might have heard about it. But today, I want you to let it get into you To Let's look at this. You and I are valuable to him. Everyone say valuable. Everyone say, I am valuable to God you guys say it's so depressing. I am, to God. I am valuable to God. Matthew chapter 10, verse 29 and 31 says this, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? It means sparrows are cheap. It's a, it's a small bird. And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. He knows them but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than they. You are valuable to God. Everyone touch your hair. He knows the exact amount of hairs on your head, and you can't trick him. It's not like you can pull out one and be like, no, he doesn't. No, he does. He knows how many hairs are on your head. And it's, an, and it's a way, it's not like he's like obsessed with our hair. No, it's a way for him to show he knows you, he cares, and you are valuable to him. He has unconditional love for you. Jeremiah 31.3 says this, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. When it says everlasting, it means it's unconditional on what you do or do not do. You will not change His love for you. It's amazing. Jeremiah thirty-one three is one that you want to keep in your heart. First John chapter four verse nineteen speaks this as John, will, which we'll later see in weeks down the line. We love Him because He first loved us. That He was the one who made the first step. It's not that we show this incredible love towards God and pursued him. And so he began loving us and pursuing us. No, for each and every one of us, the truth and the matter of fact is that God loved you first and whether you love him or not is only a result because of his pursuit, because of his thoughts, because of his love. And it's awesome. I love how Deuteronomy chapter seven puts it, not because, it's not because of something you have done. It's not that you earned God's love, which is a simple truth, but a profound one. Deuteronomy, Moses speaks to the people, and he says, The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people. For you were the least of the peoples, but because the Lord loves you. Essentially, what this verse says is that God loves you because he loves you. You guys hear me? Let this sink in. God loves you, not because of what he thinks he can do in you, what he thinks he can get out of you. He doesn't love you because of something you have done. He literally just loves you because he loves you. Ultimately, we see this love displayed with Jesus on the cross, something that he did not have to do, this sacrificial, unselfish love of God. And first John tells us, he says, what manner, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. These words, it means how great, how massive of a love that God has given to us. Lavished is another word. Showered. He has spoiled us in his love. It speaks of the measure and the manner of God's love. The measure, meaning it's great, nothing is greater. And the manner, meaning what kind, that it is giving. It's not, it's one-sided. That God doesn't love us expecting something in return. That he's going to love us despite whatever choices that we make. That he's not doing it because he wants something. And John goes on in our text today and shares with us three ways Okay? And if you're taking notes, these are your points. Okay? Three ways that God's great love affects our life. Are you ready? Okay? So that's God's love. Amazing, unconditional, uh, without anything we have done, sacrificial, and in, in light of this love, number one, his love makes us family. If you're foreign to taking notes, When it comes to a point like this, you want to put a big number one, maybe go back over to embolden it. You don't have like, no one's taking notes on the iPad, so you can't embolden it, but you can with your pen. And then put his love makes us family. And this is the first of three ways that we're going to look today. And so now as we take notes, maybe do, you guys know what an indent is? Do a little indent to the right and then start writing your notes. If a verse reference comes up, put it down. And don't just put the verse reference, say if the verse reference is about like God's love, for example, or adoption or something like that, how he adopts us into his family, put the verse and then put a little dash and put like just a little indicator of what that verse is about. It'll be very helpful to you. And so his love makes us family. The verse goes on to say that we should be called the children of God. The children of God, names called and counted a child of God. And this is a totally unnecessary blessing. You guys know what the word unnecessary means? It means that he didn't have to. It, wasn't, uh, it wasn't, didn't have to be part of the deal. That God could have just came, died on the cross, saved us, and then we're like his servants. But God took it a step further and gave us a blessing totally unnecessary. He made us family. Nothing closer, nothing greater. And did you guys know that not everyone is considered a child of God? I've told you before, but you need to hear it. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says that if you are not a believer, then you are a son of disobedience. You are a son of disobedience. But when you receive Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you become then a child of God. You are not born a child of God. You're not. It is something to be received, that you, what we're gonna look at in a moment, that we are adopted sons and daughters of the king, that we were not born that way. Do you understand? John chapter 1, verse 12 says this, but as many as received him, right, to receive Jesus to them, not to everyone, but to them he gave the right. It's talking about a legal right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. This is a right. It's not something cute or nice to say. When I say that you are a daughter of the Most High King, or you are a son of the Lord of Lords, it's not like something like, oh, it's cute, you know, it's nice, it's nice to hear. No, it's a fact. It's our right. It's, you know how people say, um, you know, maybe they're close to someone and, and maybe they've had a lot of impact and they, so they say, oh, he's, he's been like a, a father to me, right? Which is cool. Or uh, she's been like a, a daughter to me. This is not what this is talking about. It's not that we're just called children of God. No, it's that we actually are. Legal right that you and I have been adopted as believers, that God has actually went through the process of adoption, that we are his son and his daughter, not just by name, but by actual position. Are you guys following? This is amazing. This is so cool that God would do this. And we find this in Romans chapter 8, verse 15 through 17, which says this, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by faith whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And as children, then heirs and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we might also be glorified together. That the Spirit of God works in us, prompting us, encouraging us, nudging us to be intimate and personal with God the Father. It is not an easy thing to call someone daddy. It's not. It's not something that comes right away. It is built over relationship. It is built over time spent. And that word, when you see, when it says Abba, Father, it's the equivalent to having this personal daddy or or papa or whatever it might be, whatever kind of intimate name that you might call your dad, that that kind of name has to be earned. And anyone that is adopted or maybe has experienced this in some way, you understand this, that when a son or daughter is adopted into family, they don't typically call right, mom or dad, da- daddy right away, or dad, or they might never. That is something difficult to create. But what God does in an instance of a time for when he saves a believer, that he sends his spirit to prompt us to call out to our daddy in heaven, our Father, it's, it speaks of relationship, it speaks of intimacy, and it's amazing. It doesn't come natural to us, it comes supernatural to us. Galatians chapter four, verse six and seven says, and because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit, the spirit of his son in your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. It is an incredible inward assurance, insurance, assurance, uh, that God gives us because we have his spirit in us. That as we begin to, if you're a believer, this should happen. That as you begin to doubt God's love, as you begin to think God does not care about me, you will sense this nudge, you will sense, and it is the Holy Spirit saying he is your father. He is not just this removed God he is not just this removed master, but he is your dad, and he cares, and he loves. And it's an inward assurance that cannot be bought. It is why I can stand up here and say these things boldly because I've experienced that. I can experience that right now where the spirit is within me saying, I, I care about you. I will provide for you. I will protect you. You see, because as a son or a daughter of God, it comes with the provision of God. It comes with the protection of the Father. We are His. He looks after us. We have the promise of His presence. He says He will never leave us nor forsake us. And as we begin to doubt this, the Holy Spirit will remind us. He will encourage us. He will encourage us to cry out to our Father, Dad, to be intimate with Him, to talk with Him. Matthew chapter seven, verse nine through 11 says this, or what man is there among you who asks for bread and will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? As I was reading this verse this morning, actually, it reminded me of when I was a kid. And when I was a kid, you know, you'd be hanging around the house. And I remember my dad, uh, I've shared with you before, some of you might know him, he serves in children's ministry. Uh, my dad is extremely sarcastic, um, I, I, like to the, to the 10th degree, he's probably the most sarcastic guy I know. Not mean sarcasm, uh, just, <laughs> so, yeah, just, I, if you know him, then you know. But I would go to my dad sometimes or my sister, or my brother, and we would say, um, hey, dad, we're, we're hungry. Hey, dad, what can we have for dinner? He's like, oh, well, they're outside. There's some dirt and worms. We could uh, just cook that right up. Or he, he would say, uh, hey, there's, I saw some snails out on the front patio. We could just cook those up. No, no problem. And, and this was how my dad was with, with most things at, at first, right? And then eventually my dad wouldn't actually go and get the dirt and worms. Like he would then, you know, cook us something to eat. My dad was awesome, is awesome. And so do you understand the point? He says, if, if you and I being sinful, if we can respond to the needs and even wants of our children, then how much more a perfect father in heaven will, knows how to bless us, knows how to provide for us, knows how to protect us. And you might raise your hand and say, no, my dad would actually give me like a serpent. Or my dad actually would You know, maybe you have a, a bad dad. Maybe you have a dad in your life that's absent. Maybe you have a dad who doesn't live up to the call of what a father should. Some of you might not have the best example of a father, but isn't it interesting that you and I, even if we had a bad example of a father, we know what a good one should be like. How do I know that we all know? is because if you were to raise your hand and say, yeah, my father hasn't done this, my father hasn't been around, my dad hasn't or did this or whatever it might be, you know, you know that because you know what the expectation is. You know what the goal of a father should be. And God is everything that a father should be. Even the best dads fall short of our heavenly father. He is perfect. he's around. He doesn't let us down. And the world, they don't get this. This is an aspect, which is most aspects of Christianity, that is foreign to them. Look at, again, in your Bibles, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it goes on to say, and he says, Therefore, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. That the world doesn't get this relationship that we have. The word to know here, it means to grasp intellectually. It's to have an understanding regarding a subject. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says this, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. That this is something that goes over the head. The fact that you would be able to, as a Christian, call our Father in Heaven, Dad, and have, an that you could say, I know God, I know him, I spend time with him, he loves me, he blesses my life, he provides for me, is a foreign concept in the mind of an unbeliever. They cannot get it, and that is simply how it is. That you and I are so closely associated with him that we are one with him. We bear the name of God. Like, for example, you represent your family. Did you know that? Whatever your last name is, my last name is Pickett. I represent my dad. I represent my mom. I rep- because I bear that name, I either bring them shame with my life or I bring them honor. And for you, you either bring your family shame or you bring them honor for, with your actions. And in a similar way, you and I, we bear the name of God. We bear the name of Christ. So much so that even when people persecute Christians, Jesus takes it personally as if you're persecuting him. It's so amazing that God has made us his family, his sons and his daughters. Number two, his love gives us hope. His love gives us hope. We find this in verse 2. Verse two says, beloved, now we are children of God because of his love, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be in the future. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And it can be a confusing verse. At first, you're saying there's two different kinds of revealed here. Um, and it says that, and it's talking about the future. He says, we, we don't yet know what we're going to be, meaning after we die. We don't know what that's going to look like entirely. But we do know that whenever Jesus is revealed, when he is shown, when, he's, when he comes, when the, the rapture and the resurrection happen, that we know that we are going to be like him. Romans 8, 29 says that the goal for every believer is to be conformed to the image of of Christ. And because of God's great love for the believer, we have hope that death does not win for the life of the believer. That for the child of God in the resurrection, that we will have what the Bible calls a glorified body. It's you, version Um, 2.0. It's going to be you. It is physical, it's not like you're the spirit in, in all of eternity. No, it's you. You are still you. It is your body, but it's uh, 2.0 in a sense. It, and it will be similar to Jesus' glorified body. It will be. It'll be similar. The word here is "like." that it'll be recognizable, but it will be different. You'll be able to eat, you'll be able to remember. You will be without sin and you will never die again. But this is a physical resurrection. And this is something that you and I, as a believer, get to look forward to. That we get to share in what Jesus experiences now. He is a human. He's in a human body in heaven as we speak with the Father. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4 says, "...by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises." That through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That you and I, because we're adopted and now we're God's family, that we are heirs. It means that we have an inheritance. We, God shares with us everything he has without reserve. That we get to experience everything that God has to offer. That we get to experience the divine nature. Not that we get to become God. Some religions believe that in the afterlife you get to become these little mini-gods, have your own world, do your own thing. It's weird. It's not, not in the Bible. But you and I do get to partake of the divine nature in the sense that we are eternal. In the sense that we uh, don't experience death. We won't, we'll be immortals. It's almost like a funny word, you know, in superhero movies, but you and I are gonna be immortal. We will never experience any kind of death or decay again. This is our hope. And this is something that you and I should have an eagerness for. You know what the word eagerness means? It means to have an excitement and an anticipation, awaiting. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21 says, For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he's able even to subdue all things to himself. This is a great hope that we have. This is the hope of the believer. And we not only will be like him, but the Bible says here, look at your own Bible, verse two of 1 John 3, it says that we shall see him as he is. Everyone say, I'm gonna see Jesus. Jesus. We're gonna see Jesus. We're gonna see him with unrestricted, unhindered access. That right now, uh, we don't see him. The Bible describes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, says this, for now we see in a mirror, dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know just as I am also known. It speaks that right now between, though we can cry out to God, call him father, there's this fogginess. It's our flesh. It's our sinful flesh that's in the way. You see, when it says that for now, we see like in a mirror dimly. Um, back then they had mirrors, but they were, they were not as clear as the ones we have now. They would have been a piece of metal. Um, maybe you've looked in a spoon. Like you're not seeing yourself as good in a spoon as you are in your mirror, right? No one has like a giant spoon in their bathroom to look at themselves. It's like, because it's a little foggy, It's a little dimly. You can see, but not really. Maybe you've gotten out of the shower before and then try to like do your hair and you just can't see anything because it's all fogged up, right? It's that kind of view. But there's going to be a moment that we are in heaven and we are in the afterlife. We die, but we see Jesus face to face, unhindered, unrestricted, without fog, perfect clarity. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. That one day there's going to be unveiled face. It's the picture of a bride coming to the altar and the veil being lifted from her face so that her husband can see her perfectly. And there's going to be that moment that we have with Jesus. And it's our hope. And his love gives us that hope. Thirdly and finally, his love motivates our purity. His love motivates our purity. We'll see this in verses Uh, three through nine, the rest of our text together. But let's just look at verse three together. It says, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Another way to put it is this, and everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he also is pure. You guys know what the motivation is, right? You guys know what it is? Like, okay, I'm motivated to do something, or I'm unmotivated to do something. Like, you're usually pretty unmotivated to take the dishes uh, and put them, put them away when you're in the middle of uh, Fortnite or Call of Duty Mobile or something, right? That, um, that you're in the, right, and in and, and the middle of that, or you're in the middle of what, whatever you guys do. You guys are, you know, and, and you're not motivated, but then you're pretty motivated to do, to do other things. And there's, Um, whatever that might be for you. But God's motivation is not fear and judgment. It's not that he tries to uh, scare you into living a holy life. But the best motivation is a knowledge of his steadfast love. It's coming to a greater understanding of his love. It motivates our purity in our life like nothing else, right? You guys know what purity means, Means free from sin. It means free from fault, right? And when you drink, you hopefully you drink pure water, right? It doesn't have like dirt in it, um, and we we like things that are pure, and our lives are to be pure. Second Corinthians five, uh, chapter five, verse fourteen through fifteen says this: For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus: that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Do you see that word compels there? I put it in red for you. Compels us. It means uh, motivates. It means constrains. That as Paul is to look at the love of Christ displayed on the cross, that there is this compelling within him. There is something that pulls him it constrains him in the sense of even even handcuffs. Now we think of that as in a negative sense, but there is something that that motivates us as we look at the love of Christ, that we want to please him, that we want to live a life that's no longer for ourselves, but for him. I can tell you today, that's what motivates me. I'm not perfect by any means. I have my faults, as you do, but I can tell you what motivates me in life is not that I'm super scared of of God. Now, there's the fear of God, and that's a reality. There's that reverence for him. But as I just dive deeper into how much God loves me, I just want to love him back. I want to show that love for him. And you guys understand that in the sense of a relationship, that when, when someone loves you a lot, maybe you have an uncle that just like, you know, every time you're at a family event, he just like totally loves you and he just, you know, whether he, he gets you something, or he just, he, he pays attention to you when all your other aunts or uncles could care less, I, whatever it might be. You have that grandpa or that, a family friend, and just, they, they just focus their attention on you. And for the rest of your life, you'll remember that person. You'll remember how they, they loved you, and you loved them back. That love for someone motivates us when someone loves us, and motivates us to want to love them back. And as we know and understand, as we look at the diamond that is God's love, and we see all the facets, man, it makes us want to live a life. It compels us. It's a reason to live for him in purity. Second Corinthians verse 6, chapter 6, verse 18. Uh, it's the last verse in chapter 6, and then into seven one, says this, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. That's what right, so we just went over. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. See, ultimately, it's that understanding of God's love that will ignite a fire in us to want to love God, and that is what keeps us from sin, It'll be in that moment when you have to make the decision, I know this is wrong. I know this is against what God wants me to do. And in that moment, you will either do it because you don't have a good understanding of God's love, or you will show a display of love back to God by not doing that thing or doing something different. It is a love of God more than anything else that will keep us from sin, Sin, it goes on, we won't read it again, but in verses four through nine, it goes on and talks about sin a lot. Look in your Bibles, you can just glance through those verses. Sin, lawlessness, and, and all these different things. And when the word sin is stated, it's in the present tense, meaning it's not about past sin, but it's present in the sense of that it's a habit. Do you guys know what a habit is? Habit's something, right, that you do continually. Uh, another word for is habitually is the, the longer word. It's something that is consistent and continual. Uh, it speaks of an unbroken sequence of things. It's de- deliberately, it's knowingly, it's, it's doing it. You have your habits. Maybe your habit is getting up late. <laughs> that would not be a good one, right? Uh, maybe your habit is, you know, you do, right when you get home from school, you eat uh, peanut butter or celery, and then you do your homework. Whatever it might be, you have your snack and then you do your homework and then after your homework, you do this. Some, some of you are, have uh, better habits than others. Some of you us have worse habits than others. But nonetheless, when it speaks of sin, it's not just, oh, I, I, I sinned once here. Uh, it speaks of a continually knowing what you're doing. It's a habit created intentionally. And he goes on in these verses and he talks about how Jesus has come to destroy the works of the devil in our life, that he has taken away our sin. For John chapter one, verse 29 says, the next day John, this is John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That for the believer, for the son and daughter of God, Sin should not define our life. It should not be something that's habitual. It should not be something that's deliberately done. And the motivation for that purity is his love. I wanna share with you a quote that's been said before. It says this, we have been saved from sin's penalty. We are being saved from his power, from sin's power. And one day we will be saved from sin's presence. And this so accurately describes our current relationship with sin and what Jesus has done. Another way to put it is that Jesus has taken away our sins, the penalty of our sins. We are, he has taken away sin's power in our life. And one day he will take away sin's presence in our life. And that should be our current relationship with sin. And so as we just close, I want you to look at one more quote which I think will help us conclude today. It's this, someone once said, God loves the sinner not because he is drawn away, drawn to him by his lovableness, but because in spite of man's unloveliness, God sets his mind and will on seeking man's highest good. This is what is, is amazing about God's love. today, I don't know how you came in. I don't know where you're at with the Lord. I don't know if you are a believer or if you've never really received Jesus as your Lord. But God's love for you is deeper than you can imagine. The Bible describes it that it's deep and wide. It's vast beyond all measure. There's nothing like his love. His love makes us family. His love gives us hope. And his love is the best, greatest motivation for us to serve him. I want to share with you a hymn that we're going to sing in a moment. Um, And uh, have you guys ever heard of the the hymn, How Deep the Father's Love for Us? Sometimes we can sing the song, but we can, sometimes in our singing, because we like the tune, we just kind of get lost and don't listen to the words. And so um, this is what I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to read this hymn and then we're going we're gonna to sing it, okay? So I want you to look on the screen. The slides will kind of go up um, as, I, as I say it, okay? And I just want you to really meditate on the words. You can take a moment. You can put away your stuff if you need to, um, and then I want you to just be unhindered, un uh, without distraction, okay? I'll give you a moment. The hymn goes like this. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only Son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns his face away, as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders, ashamed I hear my mocking voice, call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart, His wounds have paid my ransom. God, we come before you and we thank you for your love for us. Would it not become something simple? Would it not become something basic? Would it not become something trivial in our lives that we don't care about or that we've heard before? God, I pray that your love would enrapture our lives. that right now as we even just sing the song and as your spirit in us cries out, Abba Father, and you encourage us to have that intimacy with you. God, I ask that we would just be in a place that we could receive your love. We would begin to understand and grasp how deep your love is for us. Lord, we know that it's gonna take all of eternity and we'll never get to the end where we can fully grasp and know and understand your love. Well, that's what we're going to be doing with you. That we're going to let you, Lord, pour your love on us. And right now, as we just sing, Lord, would you be would you be glorified in our singing? As we just respond to the message to which you spoke. God, we choose just to love back on you. We choose that our boast, our bragging would not be in anything else but the fact of your love displayed on the cross. We thank you, God, and we love you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And so in a, just a spirit of attitude of worship, if you guys wanna stand quietly, and then we're gonna sing this song, and I want you to sing it. Whether you're used to singing or at all, Um, But just let something come out of your mouth. However light it might be, as you sing these words, you just let the Father's love pour over you. He wants to. And I just get this sense right now, I don't know if it's the Spirit or not, but that some of you are having a very difficult time letting God's love in. Maybe because someone hurt you. Maybe because you, you feel abandoned by God just for the next few minutes as we sing the song, just open your heart up to him and let him in, okay? And let's worship.